Hello guys, how's it going? This is the NTT20 podcast. This is the Monday pod where I, Ali Maxwell, and on the line with me, EFL on Quest pundit George Ellick, talk all things EFL. Today, as you'll have noticed, is an extended podcast and that's because next week there won't be a huge amount of League 1 and League 2 action to chew over, just two games in each league next weekend. So next week's pod will be quite championship heavy. What you're getting today is 35 minutes of championship chat, another half an hour of League 1 chat and 20 minutes at the end of League 2. So if you're waiting for one of those segments, you can skip ahead. If not, enjoy this extended pod. It's great to be joined by my good friend, my partner, you. I'm starting with flattery. I'm starting with uh, okay. with a lot of love because, I mean, some concern for me over the weekend that I might be losing you to uh, Danny Cowley, who you were working <laughs> with on Saturday and who, by all accounts, you got on very, very well with. Yeah, he was he was great to speak to. Um, it helps. He's he's listened to a few of our pods, so he kind of knew what um you know why I'm about and what you're about, which makes something of a change. But no, I mean it was great. Danny arrived. Um, at the studios on Saturday and within about 30 seconds of him sitting down, we were pretty much engaged in nonstop EFL chat for the whole afternoon, which was brilliant because he's, yeah, he's someone who obviously still lives and breathes EFL football. He kind of admitted that, you know, um, with Premier League stuff, he doesn't really follow it at all. And I was like, well, maybe you'll have to one day. Um, but uh, yeah, no, he was great and somebody whose knowledge of players in the leagues and whose kind of tactical acumen, unsurprisingly, was just really impressive. Uh, and he kind of knew what shapes most teams in League One and League Two have been adopting this season. He was saying, which I love, that him and Nicky, his brother and an assistant manager, of course, both at Lincoln and at Huddersfield, their normal Saturday is they both buy a game and I follow and they just sit and they watch the game and they kind of report back to each other. They just basically pick a game at random. To, to watch each he couldn't believe how the setup uh at the at the studio is where <laughs> there was kind of 15 games going on at once i think he, he basically said that he would happily come in and work and do it for free on a saturday just so he could have that kind of uh that kind of exposure to the games and also which was nice he nicky was obviously at home without danny watching and he chose to watch bristol city against derby and they spoke at half-time on the phone and they spoke at full-time on the phone, which I thought was great, with just Nicky just kind of taking Danny through what had happened, you know, probably partly because Danny was going to have to talk about it on the show, but I think also just because it's what they do. Mm. They chat about football and they watch games. So, yeah, I had a great time chatting and spending the day with Danny and probably not a massive price that one day soon, maybe when we're allowed to kind of meet up in person, there might be some some kind of a pod collaboration coming. Yeah, I'm up for that. I mean, maybe you could do one with Danny and I could do one with Nikki, sort of the jilted brothers slash partner uh, of this new friendship. Well, I thought you were both excellent, so so well done. It was good stuff. Thanks. And you, I mean, you had a you had a, a great day of football and specifically some absolutely banging goals in the EFL this weekend. I can't remember a uh, I can't remember watching a highlight show and seeing so many goals that made me like squeal. Um, whether it was Cook whether it was uh, Styles of Barnsley, whether it was Leadbitter, mm. Callum Camps, obviously. You're missing out on the best one, aren't you, as well? I'm going in league order, whether it's right. Danny Rowe, 
Mm. Absolutely magnificent. Um, we're going to get into a lot of those forthwith. Let's talk about the championship. The way we're going to do the championship is taking the six-game form table and just going down it from the top because all of the top seven teams in terms of the six-game form table won on the weekend. So that works pretty well. Starting with the team at the top of the form table at the moment in the championship, Norwich City, who are on a serious run of form at the moment. They're certainly not putting teams away they're certainly not winning by large margins and that was very much the case uh, against Middlesbrough on, on Saturday George obviously you watched a lot of this stuff so I'm gonna be leaning mm. on leaning on your experiences of watching these games but I can actually um, start with this one because I was watching Norwich Borough on iFollow that was the game I was most excited about this weekend and I, I, I can't quite tell if it lived up to my expectations like the clash of styles was fascinating uh, and Middlesbrough did disrupt Norwich a lot and even though I predicted a Norwich win and even the 1-0 scoreline on the betting show I simply cannot sit here smugly and claim it as some sort of prescient as if as if I'm some sort of prophet because the Tavernier penalty or the Tavernier penalty where he slipped hit the ball twice and it was and it gets given as a free kick to Norwich I haven't mm -hmm. seen that in the EFL before. Like I, no. rem I remember Lampard scoring one in the Premier League and it wasn't disallowed and it caused a bit of a ruckus. I've never seen that in the EFL before. And I just felt really bad. Like it feels like that being a free kick to the opposition is a bit harsh. I also think like I was about to suggest it should just be a retake, but then that doesn't feel quite right either because, you know, I suppose you've kind of mucked up even if a slip is clearly unintentional. But like... the. <laughs> It's just it was a re remarkable situation. Borough have essentially gone one nil up, and within a second, it's a free kick to Norwich. And not that long after, Norwich then won a penalty of their own and went one nil up. I mean, what what do you think of that? Well, I think we should start with this because it's pretty much unprecedented from what I can remember. The rule is there to prevent you from, you know, like rolling it forward with your right before smashing it with your left, like yeah. you know, or, or even rolling it forward with your right and hitting it again. You can't legislate for slips so yeah. it, it does seem unfair but then if you were to change that rule suddenly you get you know just <laughs> you could just turn it from 12 yards into eight yards pretty yeah. quickly you know it's a slice of luck for Norwich that is you know it, it, it's probably given Middlesbrough's defense it's probably more than just one point it's probably three <laughs> points yeah. and I'd back I'd back Middlesbrough to go on and convert that that lead if they if they'd got it and for for Borough you know, it's only their second defeat of the season. And for Neil Warnock, he'll be thinking to himself that this is our second defeat and we haven't deserved to lose either of them mm. against two of the sides relegated from the Premier League because the first defeat was against Watford on opening day. So, you know, Borough are a side who, who are consistently proving to us that they are, you know, this was another example of it. They're not the best team in the league by, to, by the way of footballing standards and the way that they play and, and the way that they dominate games. But in terms of, of, of the manner of winning points, which is not conceding many chances and creating enough yourself to, to edge out marginal ones, they're right up there. Yeah. I still think they're right up. Well, and we used to say similar things about Cardiff City, the, the season that they got promoted under, under Warnock. I, I was a bit <clears throat> disappointed. No, I think that's harsh. I was a little concerned, I have to admit, in the last half hour, watching how knackered the players looked. Like, mm. I, I know a lot of them had been on international break or actually not a lot of them some of them had been on an international break but after such a crazy run of games I had hoped that after 10 days off or whatever it might have been there'd be a bit of freshness and maybe it was the intensity of the encounter I mean Middlesbrough pressed a lot in the first half they were very impressive and Norwich try and do the same but yeah the last half an hour was I mean it was exciting it was good to watch from a neutral's perspective but it was quite frantic it was quite scrappy 
And yeah, both teams look pretty knackered. So I'm a little concerned heading into a run of, I think it's like 12 games in 45 yeah. days. That was the first one. Something to keep an eye on. And, and hopefully, you know, it's just a one-off. But yeah, I thought Tavernier is worth mentioning because even though he ended up on the losing side and even though he was unfortunate to have, you know, slipped and had that penalty taken away from him, I, I, he, he's sort of growing up in front of our eyes this season, I think. It's, mm. it's another, or at least it looks like another win for Warnock in terms of what he's doing with certain individuals. We spoke about Dyke Steele on, on Sky on Friday night. We talked about McNair and... Mark Boller briefly as well. Tavernier is, he, you know, he's still only 21, I think. It feels like he's been around for a while on the fringes, sort of getting the odd chance, not necessarily seizing it. But I think he he's, he's as I say, it, it looks to me like he's growing in front of our eyes. He looks quick. He slices through the lines. He's tough to knock off the ball. He, he looks confident. And that's, uh, you know, that's a really good sign for Borough. And I think he's adding or he's improving his consistency and his maturity and his end product, which is what he needs to improve to become a really good player for the level and a consistent player for the level, obviously. Still plenty to come in, in that regard. But uh, And I think he, he sort of ran out of gas a little bit in this game. But it does look like he could be a difference maker for Borough. And that's another, you know, that's another big thing if they are going to be very good defensively and, and not as good going forward to have players like that. But a really good, you know, a, an amazing win, you have to say this, for Norwich despite mm. the fact that it came from a penalty they got uh, and, and and the incident that we've discussed and Gibson and Hanley I think we have to mention because you know defensively was probably where I was most concerned about Norwich at the start of the season both in terms of system because going up they hadn't been that good defensively you know relative to most title winners and in the Premier League they were disastrous defensively as we know so for them to look relatively solid now and and individually as well Gibson and Hanley both doing good things uh, and building a good partnership it's very it's very positive for borough they haven't got a ton of depth at that position they've already got injuries at left back but um but that's a real po a real positive for them and uh and yeah i mean they're, they're in pretty good nick aren't they so a team to mm. watch out for the, the team second in the form t form table is barnsley george under val ishmael and they beat forest this game from what i saw george was a series of mini battles between barnsley and the crossbar which they hit three times between Guerrero and Walton in the Barnsley goal. And Walton came out on top with two big chances at nil-nil for Guerrero. Um, and then an absolute smasher from Harry Callum Styles, uh, who put Barnsley 1-0 up and they, they got the win there. But it, it looked like quite an entertaining game, this one. Yeah, I think it was a great game. Um, at least Chris Kamara on Soccer Saturday couldn't believe how, what a what a treat he was in he was uh, watching. He kept calling it the best nil nil he'd ever seen, <laughs> um, but it turned into a two nil win for Barnsley. And you've got to be impressed by what Barnsley are doing. I mean, they we hold Gerhard Struber in very high esteem. It's fair to say, but Barnsley's form under Ishmael is you know far eclipsing what they were doing under Struber. It was a pretty underwhelming disappointing start to the season for Barnsley but this was an example here playing against the Forest side managed by Chris Hewton who've clearly improved since Hewton came in who you know with a defensive coach who is so good at setting up setting his teams up to frustrate and defend well they opened up Forest on so many occasions you mentioned the woodwork I mean uh, Woodrow hit the, hit the bar twice Chaplin hit the woodwork as well it may have taken a fantastic Callum Styles uh, strike in order to get them ahead but it was, it was what they deserved. They were the better team on the day and, and they found it fairly easy to create chances. Similarly, as you do mention, Walton had to make saves in the Barnsley goal and it wasn't just one-way traffic throughout, but on the balance of play, they were the better side. So, you know, I, I kind of urged some caution, I think, at the beginning with, with Valerian Ishmael because 
that the the start was somewhat um well they had that red card didn't they against QPR you wanted to see more you wanted to see more proof more evidence yeah exactly and uh, and we're seeing it now um and I love I still think the Chaplin and Woodrow I mean, me and me and me and Danny were talking on Saturday about Corley Woodrow, and, yeah, and I do me think me and you know, Danny, he, me and Danny, me and Danny. I do think that you know, and I think we agreed that Corley Woodrow is one of the best strikers in the championship in terms of the the breadth of qualities that he can offer. Whether that is being the you know the, the fox in the box goal scorer, which he can do. Whether that's providing a foil for, for for Connor Chaplin and dropping in deep and linking up play, which he can do. Whether that's pulling into wide areas. Which he can also do. He's a very good footballer with a, with a you know, a, a very good footballing brain, mm. as well as that kind of lethal touch in the box. I think Ishmael's got a really exciting team here with Styles, Chaplin, Woodrow kind of at the front of it. Um, these young technical players who who can who are developing very quickly, and this is just a, a game where we often see Barnsley putting in kind of laudable performances. Sometimes in victory, sometimes you know in, in defeat, and sometimes where the where the points are shared against against sides who should be better than them. But this was just—I know it took them to the 85th minute to get to get the goal, but this was them just being better, mm. just being better than a Forest side who have obviously got so much talent running through their team. And I think for those people, kind of before the season started, who had Barnsley down as the possible kind of Huddersfield type team who could really crash the party at the top end of the Championship, the start of the season they had might make that tricky but like these are the performances that we expected to see from the Mundegohard Struber and, and it's going to be exciting to see how they kick on now yeah I mean really well coached sides who have a really strong understanding of what the game plan is and how to apply it repeatedly are going you'd think to be pretty well set in this uh this sort of thick and fast schedule if you will uh, I, I mean, the flip side of that is when that style is such high intensity and so demanding on you physically, and when you're very young players, um, not the biggest maybe, squad as maybe well. without a ton of depth, then that's the flip side of it. But it'll be interesting to watch them. I mean, from a Forest perspective, I'm kind of scratching my head because a, a, lo- a lot of me is saying that this side looks fairly good under Hewton. You know, we spoke on the state of play pod a couple of weeks ago that we, we weren't really considering them as part of that relegation battle. I know there are some fans who are still a little bit concerned. I'm not that concerned long term, but their next six games are against Bournemouth, Swansea, Watford, Reading, Norwich and Brentford. So, you know, they're going to have to be hopeful that in those games they can improve their finishing because that's been a big issue for them and that they can really start setting up so that they can't be hurt as much defensively. Um, there's still work for Hewton to do. I am still encouraged. I still think they'll be fine. I don't think they should have particularly lofty lofty ambitions because just the nature of this run means, you know, they could be looking at through 18 games having something like, you know, 18 points or, or, or maybe 20. It's unlikely they'd have more than 20, 22 points through 18 mm. games. It's going to be difficult for them to, to make any dent on the top half, on the playoffs, I think. But, you know, they, they, are, they are currently... They lived by the XG variant sword last year and now they're dying by it because I think more than any other side, they're probably uh, underperforming their XG numbers, mostly down to Graben, who hasn't played recently, but who early on in the season racked up just over four expected goals and hasn't scored a single goal yet. Um, so yeah, they're, they're kind of, they're on the flip side of where they were this time last season and it's uh, it's pretty painful. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens next. George, the, the Stoke 4 Huddersfield 3 game, we had some very entertaining Sunday scout reports about this one. Uh, essentially, it sounded like a sort of a basketball game 
or if it if in 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 footballing terms maybe a pre-season game where there were periods where it felt like neither side could really be bothered with defending but a hell of a watch and uh, uh, another another tick in the box for the Friday night sky NTT20 pod segment boost yeah it's becoming a bit of a trend and i and i guess it should do uh, Tyrese Campbell after we spoke about him um on Friday night on sky goes and scores two goals playing off the left hand side this time and um, yeah, as you mentioned, it was a, you know, it was, it was a bit of a funny game this because we don't normally associate or I don't normally associate um, Michael O'Neill and Stoke with these kind of high scoring games, but it's becoming like a real feature. Yeah. You think they've, they've won this one 4-3, they lost to Watford 3-2 the other day, they beat Brentford 3-2 back in October, even before their last game before this one was a 3-0 win. I, I'm kind of feeling like I have to kind of reevaluate everything that I thought about O'Neill and the Stoke side. Maybe they're not going to be the dour, pragmatic side that we expected. And with talents like Campbell, who is quickly developing into you know one of those players who we have to assume is of that you know championship quality, destined for like way way bigger things. Mm. Um, and when you also consider they've got you know in Nick Powell a luxury. Um, kind of playmaker playing as a 10 and even someone like John Over McKell who's you know his legs may not be what they were but he's a you know he's like a silky defensive minded footballer like mm. his passing range is very good it shouldn't be a massive surprise I, I don't think O'Neill will like to see games like this I, I think if it wasn't for Pereira in goal for Huddersfield this could have been a really awkward afternoon for mm. for Stoke and it was a pretty awkward afternoon as well I mean Carol Eiting again showing oh. some serious quality um, for Huddersfield in the middle of the park. And all those 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 uh, reports that I read from Ajax fans when he moved, saying that he just wasn't up to the standard. I mean, fine, he might not be up, up to Ajax standard, huge. but I, I can tell you he's definitely up to uh, to championship standard. Huge, huge footballing crush developing. And I can't remember who they played on that Friday night and we were watching together his first appearance. And he did, I think he just did one like crossfield switch of play and it just, it just looked a little too good. And I was like, okay, we need to keep an eye on this guy. And some of the stuff he's done since is absolutely unbelievable. His goal was very good, but his assist was the one on the weekend yeah. on the run, barely breaking stride. Sort of, I'm not sure if it was quite no look, but just head up all the way and, and the perfect threaded pass for him. Benza, um, at Tyrese, you have to, you can't stop talking about him, even if the Stoke fans would rather that we didn't. Um, he doesn't get the assist, by the way, for that own goal, um, which ah. seems harsh because it was a wicked ball across. But even without that, five goals and five assists so far. Uh, if you take out penalties, he's got the best non-penalty goal and assist per 90 this season. So goal contributions, goals plus assists combined at 1.34 per 90. Armstrong at 0.94, Tony at 0.89, Joao 0.82 Semenyo in fifth at 0.74 so you know Semenyo and Campbell you'd say you know they have played slightly fewer minutes than some of those guys and it might start to drop a little bit but certainly eye-catching for those two young attacking players and mm. yeah I mean for, from a Stoke perspective it just it, it's it's really nice to see even though I'm getting a little tired of the the messages saying that Tyrese Campbell doesn't exist and please could we talk about Sam Vokes, he's a ghost Tom talk about Sam Vokes and Tom Ince I've never seen a trope be used just so hard by so many different set uh, fans of one club that it's like they all sort of got together and decided that was going to be their thing. Or re probably more realistically, someone said it who's quite funny and a bit of a Stoke influencer and uh, everyone sort of picked up on it. It was probably our friends at the Wizards of Drivel who uh, are absolutely excellent. And I will finish this segment by um, just 
just reading out something they tw- they tweeted on the weekend, which I think is very significant and we shouldn't ignore. Uh, the Wizards of Drivel are a Stoke podcast. They tweeted, I love this Stoke team again. I enjoy watching us play. I recognise the graft and the talent of the players. I feel proud of us when we do well and look on the bright side when we don't. Imagine saying that a couple of years ago. Michael O'Neill has done something amazing. I think, you know, we cover, we try to cover 72 teams as best we can and you, you, you can't fail but to, to notice the general mood of a fan base and sometimes over time, you know, we've we've probably covered teams now for four or five years whose fan bases have not had much to cheer about or anything to be too positive about in footballing terms. You know, teams go through those those troughs as well as the peaks. And Stoke are probably in that bracket or certainly were for, for three or four or five years. And it looks like they're not anymore. And, you know, we, we talk about we, we talk about football in many different ways, some of it statistically and objectively and where we can with with an analytical bent but uh, it's about the feelings as well isn't it it's about supporting your team and the sentiment and that that was uh, warmed my heart to see that I must say um Bournemouth 4 Reading 2 this was the early game on Saturday absolute cracker and from what I saw George just one of the absolute games of two halves yeah, maybe in terms of the scoreline, but in terms of of the performance, maybe not so much. Like, you know, I, I don't want to twist the knife into Reading too much here, so I'm going to try and make this as Bournemouth-focused as possible. But this was a classic game where the outsider, the team who, the away team, take the lead early through a penalty, and then Bournemouth huff and puff with a lot of the ball, but struggle to break down a low block from... Reading and then Reading break and score with only their second shot on target through Shani Aluko uh, late in the first half. So Reading go into half time two goals up with two shots on target, including a penalty, having not really faced too much in terms of actual chances, but you know a lot of final third entries, let's say for Bournemouth. And then the second half sees that pressure tell, but again, like I, I don't want to give Bournemouth too much credit here because some of the goals were just absolute mm. gifts whether it was Solanke's final goal which saw Raphael doing I don't know what kind of falling over the ball about 15 times in five seconds before um, I mean it's so rare that you see uh, a an outfield player and a goalkeeper tussle like that that doesn't end in a free kick to the goalkeeper so um, I mean it was a it was actually quite like a remarkable finish from Solanke who still managed to like welly it top left from the edge of the area yeah. despite there being an open goal whether it was Lewis Cook's first goal in four years, which was an absolute howitzer into the top left-hand corner from distance. But again, you know, relying on on moments of, of quality. I mean, Dan Juma and, and, and Solanke's first two goals were what Bournemouth deserved. Mm. Um, and, you know, this was the first time that we've seen this Bournemouth side who are, you know, absolutely littered with attacking quality. Again, I mean, you look at the front six, effectively, on, um, on Saturday, you know, Stanislas Cook, Lermo, Andrew, Solanke and Brooks. I mean, that is outrageous mm. um, to have that much talent kind of flowing. And when you when you add the kind of the wing back athleticism and quality of Rico and Stacey, a wing back, this you know, Bournemouth scoring four goals at home should not be a rare occasion. But they had ten shots on on the day. They didn't create plenty of chances despite being one 0 down after four minutes. So I think Reading can have absolutely no complaints about this at all. They they didn't deserve anything from the game. Bournemouth got the win that they deserved. But I'm not going overboard in terms of this being a you know a, a, a sudden click for, for Bournemouth. I think they still relied a little bit heavily on moments rather than than process, if that makes mm. sense. And, and also the one other thing we should say, because you know this was a game 
where there was there were moments of quality and and uh, Oviajari's assist for Luko's goal was also I mean it's it's what we've come to expect from Ajari you know carrying the ball into the final third mm. playing a disguised pass that breaks the lines literally putting it on a plate for Luko so yeah um, so I was what, surprised so what we want to, see... to see more of exactly yeah. I was surprised to see um, Paunovic take him off at two all because you feel like even when I know he's not a defensive minded player at all but he was brought off for Mate effectively being like right we're going to put two up top here and go and go more direct mm. which is just playing into Bournemouth's hands really it's exactly what I'm sure Jason Tindall seeing that substitution what would he have thought he'd have been like okay perfect great we're, we're now you don't have anybody who can who can really hurt us on the counter you're just gonna be playing it to our strengths up try and turn us absolutely fine uh, right we've got a couple of one nil wins and I want to know which one you'd like to talk about most Swansea, How exciting. Swansea won Rotherham nil Bristol City won Derby nil and Preston won Sheffield Wednesday nil. Which of those would you like to start with? Bristol City won Derby nil because I think this is the most interesting of the three in terms of what happened. Now let's not get too sucked in by the Wayne Rooney, Rafa Benitez conversation that's kind of going on around Derby County because it, it, we don't know what's happening there. We don't know who's going to be the manager. We don't even know who's going to be the owner in you know a couple of weeks' time. So, but it was more just a much, much improved performance from Derby. And that, even though the result went against them, that is significant in itself, I think. Because this wasn't a case, you know, often we'll talk about managers. You know, I think we'll talk about Tramir later on in the podcast. And that is just a case, I think, of a manager being pretty luckless and then making way and then a whole load of variants going the other way to help. But this is a defeat. This is Liam Rossinho and uh, Liam Rossinho and Wayne Rooney overseeing a defeat in their first game in charge on an interim basis at Derby. But the performance was just very, very different. You know, the the struggles to create were no longer there. They absolutely dominated possession. You know, Wayne Rooney attempted over 100 passes in the game. Um, So no longer kind of ball retention right towards the back, but getting the ball into Rooney, who's obviously decided himself that he wanted to play in a withdrawn midfield role, which is significant because Philippe Koku this season had started playing him more uh, in, you know, a more advanced attacking role. So Rooney basically, Rooney and Rossini playing Rooney in that that quarterback role, making sure everything goes through him, which worked well. They controlled the game. They created loads of chances. There are 13 shots of which plenty were, were decent chances. Tom Lawrence off the left, the main goal throughout. Waghorn through the middle, also getting his fair share too. And that was something that Koku seemingly wasn't willing to do. He wanted to play Rooney up top. He didn't really want to give Waghorn um, that number, you know, the, the number nine, the number nine role. Um, so this is as frustrating as it will be for Derby. This is positive for me because it's the first evidence that the poor start and the, the negativity around Derby may actually have been down to the manager. Um, it, and so to see such a quick change in terms of of of, of positional you know, where players are being played and and the way that they were able to use that possession and turn that possession into opportunity, um, you know, brighter times possibly around the corner. It's such a weird dynamic though, isn't it? With Rossinha and Rooney. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I've absolutely no doubt that they are both working very hard to improve Derby's results for, for the good of the club. But it's still a weird dynamic. Like, they both want the job. They've both been very clear about that. They are almost polar opposites in the way that they 
talk about football, their experience up to this point and what they have to offer, to my eyes anyway. Rosinha feels like someone who has basically dedicated his life to coaching, management, I mean, post-playing career, but in, in his uh, in his interview with The Athletic, um, you know, which was a very clear, I want this job basically, or I want to be a manager sooner rather than later. You know, he was saying his dad was a was a manager when he was young. He wanted to be a manager, and throughout his playing career, it was you know it was about playing. Of course, it was, but it was about leading to management. He's clearly studied communication, leadership, you know, best practice, all that stuff. He was he's the best touchscreen analyst Sky Sports have ever had. Basically, um, he, he worked at Brighton with the under twenty threes, and then got stuck in at Derby. Rooney almost feels like a throwback to a previous time where like well-known high profile players dropped down to become player managers you know like mm. and it didn't always work it didn't always work very well but you could see why you know the name and the experience and what they've achieved can be very seductive to a, to a, a chairman or an owner um they've both you know they've both been so clear that they want the job so clearly that creates a strange dynamic and then of course you had the the shot of Rooney receiving a message that had been sent on and kind of almost to my eyes anyway almost making a point of screwing up his face in in kind of confusion and and not really sure what he was being asked to do and didn't look particularly uh, excited to carry out those instructions or to or to try and implement them on the pitch so I, d- I don't think that can be good for a team I, I recognize that the performance was a bit better um, but I don't think it's I don't think it's helping either of them necessarily um, that they're involved in this kind of weird quasi battle and I don't think either of them will, will necessarily win the battle anyway because I think no. you know that there's a lot of fans who are not very happy with the way they've both talked about you know have basically how they've talked since Koku left his job and and a lot of fans saying hold on you know you you were very much part of that as well and and it seems like you're just trying to pin it all on Koku so it is a fascinating club as ever um, and the next few weeks are going to be very interesting indeed Preston beat Sheffield Wednesday 1-0, Tony Pulis's first game in charge. And I don't think there are a ton of conclusions to be drawn when uh, Josh Windass gets sent off quite so early on in that game. In fact, my my only note on this one, apart from what a lovely finish, uh, what a lovely bit of technique from Tom Barkhazen to to hit that controlled and powerful volley uh, with his wronger foot. His wronger foot. His wronger foot. I love it. His weaker foot. (laughs) His wrong foot into the corner. Um, And, uh, but, but basically I think that Daniel Johnson, and maybe he's just doing it performatively to make himself look good. But I think Preston's DJ was asking the ref not to send off Josh Windass. And I think if you go back and watch that clip, when you cut to the, to the close up of the ref, uh, you know, walking towards Windass and brandishing the red card, I think Johnson is saying, ref, he was going for the ball. He was going for the ball. Oh, no, don't send him off or something like that. I wanted to shout that out because, you know, a rare bit of good sportsmanship, uh, if that is true. And Swansea beat Rotherham. You never get Daniel Johnson to, to referee your game of football, though, because he'd, he'd let tackles like that go. Swans beat Rotherham 1-0, George. Um, without IU, Gwehi and Gibbs White, who's still out, has been for a while. Um, fans just very happy to basically get the three points without... Uh, those two, those two key men, especially Ayu and, and Guehi. Was there anything hugely notable about this game? I mean, the result itself was was what was expected, I guess. Yeah, I think it's just another sign that Rotherham are, are a side that can cause even the best teams in this league problems because it wasn't a comfortable one for for Swansea. Really, um, Rotherham will feel very aggrieved they didn't get a, a, a um, they didn't get a penalty oh, yeah. uh, late on for the handball which would have changed the dynamic of this massively um interestingly the passing stats were quite interesting i thought Swansea a team who we always associate with being one who like to play football and get the ball down and play 
Um, but they only, it was 320 passes to 260 attempted, which is a very, very low. Um, so Rotherham doing, obviously doing a good job of pressing Swansea and, and, and preventing them from playing their own game. Um, I imagine there was yeah. a lot of time with the ball spent dead as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think this is just a case for Steve Cooper of like, right, we had a few injuries. We're playing against a, a team who we should be beating, but it's not by no means an easy one. Get the three points, move on. It's like when you play a hard, a hard hole in golf. Just get your, you know, get your four move on to the next team and forget about it well we've made about 100 points each and now we're going to move on from the championship just about i just want to say if we haven't spoken about your team there were five drawn games this weekend and as you as you guys know we, we tend to filter those out because we cannot talk about all 36 and it's just quite an easy way of, of, of filtering some of those games out we're going to move on but we are going to promise that we'll get to a lot of teams next week that we haven't spoken about this week and a lot of teams that we haven't spoken about much because you keep drawing games so the likes of Luton and Millwall and Cardiff you're going to be in our crosshairs next week. We're going to going to go a little bit deeper on you, whatever happens this weekend, because uh, there's only two games in League One and League Two scheduled. So it'll be a lot of championship chat next week. And we are going to make sure that if you don't feel like we've spoken about your team enough, please do send us a tweet. We will make sure that we we do a, a good solid bit on some of those teams. Um, George, you've called them the, the ugly ducklings, those mid-table sides. <laughs> it's just a bit of a blind spot for us, which is which is an issue, but it's one that we haven't necessarily worked out how to overcome over, over the last four years of covering the leagues. But being a mid-table side, not good for being talked about a lot on the pod. The one thing we are going to say, George, is just to bring up what fun we had on Friday night uh, playing fan slides during the Coventry-Birmingham game. Yes. Even though... The game itself will not go down in the history books as one of the more entertaining games on a Friday night on Sky in the Championship. It was absolutely popping off on the app fan slide. Yeah, I mean, it's good to know that for Sky Sports, for anyone from Sky is listening, isn't it good to know that it'll never, every game that is ever shown live on Sky will be, will be better than that one. So how good is that? That is the lowest <laughs> of the low because it was absolutely dreadful. Um, but the good thing is, as you mentioned, playing fan slides, it is amazing how games that are that poor um, just take on a different, you know, enjoyment factor because even if Tactical. it is nil-nil, exactly, you are still there, engaged, playing the game, trying to work out how to get points. It can't, you know, almost the best advert we can do for fan slide is to be like, bad game, play fan slide because it won't be so bad anymore. Um, obviously, it's very good for high scoring affairs too. But yeah, it was um, it was good, and it was good to see the uh, the chat really kicking on. Mm. Um, Rasputin was giving me some some uh some hate in there which wasn't very nice and you as well it's yeah. very chippy um but it was also just good to see a barrow fan and a manchester united fan from ireland just really going at each other um you know it all got tempers got flared in the chat and they were really at each other's throat it's just it's a really fun way to enjoy enjoy games um you know i'm i, I think this evening you know there's no uh there's no championship stuff but i think i'm gonna be playing alongside one of the monday night uh football games in the nice. premier league and i'm really excited to do so it's one of those things now like almost if i'm arming and ahhing as to whether i should be working or watching a game the prospect of playing fan slide alongside probably tips the balance kind of counts as work anyway or at least i yes. will let you count it as work and as we are each other's bosses then uh, that's mm. all you need really yeah brilliant do you stuff. mind if i watch the game tonight that's fine that's fine I, I probably won't um do some research we, on next season's championship winners burnley <laughs> well we've got a we've got a full slate on tuesday pretty much so i'm i'm sort of saving myself for that qpr versus brentford on friday night will surely not be uh, anything other than a cracker we'll be on sky on friday night we'll also be playing flat playing fan slide it's going to be 
so good. It's free to play. It's free to download. There's £100 up for grabs every Friday night on the championship game. Uh, and it was a dead heat on Friday night as well. So it's uh, it's getting pretty tense in there, I must say. George and I are still not, not troubling the scorers very much. While we're on the topic of our sponsors, I just want to point out that this morning I went on a walk and not only was it excellent to clear my head and to get some fresh air and to put some plans in place to attack the week, George, but it was made even better by just a lot of really good stuff on the athletic site coming out this morning. Um, we've, we've mentioned a few things uh, about Forrest's expected goals. That came from a, an article by Paul Taylor on Forrest and XG, fitting the other end of the, uh, of the spectrum when it comes to those underlying numbers. But... Hmm. I think, well, we think generally that is cause for, for optimism. Michael Bailey's written a beautiful piece on a beautiful player, uh, Emmy Buendia, which I really enjoyed reading. And even uh, Ornstein's weekly column has some EFL news in it. News, I'm afraid, not particularly good news. But if you want an update on what's happening or rather what's not happening when it comes to the bailout, uh, then Ornstein's column is, is worth a read. And also a little nugget about Marcus Force and the clubs who are interested in him. Borussia Dortmund, George, not sure if you've ever heard of them, but they have quite the <laughs> eye for talent and they quite like the look of Brentford's young gunman, Marcus Force. He scored for Finland against France in the international break and there were the Dortmund scouts in the stands enjoying every minute of that. So, you know, we've spoken uh, last week about ways where where he could get more involved with this Brentford side who need a bit of a spark at the moment, it feels like. And mm. whether there's a fit for him, I think they could give him a go just on the left side of the front three, just to try something different, just to see if, if he can be like Tyrese Campbell, maybe just a real goal threat in off the left where I think there's a weakness at the moment. It would mean having to make some tweaks to their start of play, but could it be worth it? You've got Tony, you know he's a good number nine, he's doing the business, but could you try and make the most of Force's skills at the moment? Um, if not, then maybe he'll have his head turned. Uh, Ornstein's column reckons that there's plenty of teams looking at him. So really interesting stuff. And if you're not a subscriber of The Athletic, well, I would recommend that you check all of those things out and so much more as well on site at the moment. Theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. We'll see you get 50% off your annual subscription. It comes out to about two quid fifty a month or, or the price of a very expensive coffee. <laughs> Excellent content as ever. Do enjoy that, guys. In League One, George, I want to talk with a team who are top of the form table. Not quite, actually. Charlton are top of the form table, but they drew this weekend. We've spoken a lot about them winning in recent weeks. So let's move on to the team second in the form table, Fleetwood Town, who have five wins and one defeat in their last six. 15 points accrued, flying up the table, and an unbelievably eye-catching performance and scoreline, beating Argyle 5-1 on the weekend. How did you live and experience this one? What do you think about the game? I mean, I didn't see it coming, it's fair to say. I didn't have this down as, as an easy Fleetwood home win. But as you mentioned, their form in recent weeks has been trending very much the right way. I think we always knew, looking at their squad pre-season, that they were just a couple of centre-backs short of, of of having a very, very good first eleven and a bit of depth in there as well. So now they've got Mulgrew, who has been an inspired signing so far since he since he came in and Connolly playing centre-back. Their first eleven looks you know, as strong as, as as most in the in the league, maybe up there with the very best as well. Callum Camps has been probably what pound for pound the best signing in League One this this year. Can we say so far? Has to be already ten goals. Already ten goals since he came into the club. Scores such good goals as well, and he offers a hell of a lot more than that too. And when you look at the players who are coming off their bench as well, Ched Evans, Paul Coote, Barry Mackay, like uh, Paul Duffy, 
There is just so much. You missed quality. out Glenn Whelan. This was part of my notes. It's their, oh, no way. Their bench is insane. They made five subs on the weekend. Glenn Whelan. Yeah, I don't, I Coots, don't think Glenn's <laughs> up there with those two. Coots, Duffy, Mackay, and Chad Evans. It's absolutely unbelievable. There, there's actually. I think they're looking very ominous. That that yeah, so I mean, I. the fact that those guys are coming off the bench it shows the form that some of the new players are, are in. Uh, Edwards has slotted in very nicely at right back. The centre backs Connolly and Mulgrew you've talked about, Camps and Finley as well in midfield, who was so good for Accrington last season and is thriving in a, an even better side this time round. It's just very hard to find a weak spot to the side at the moment. I would say my sort of number one weak spot, if I had to pick one might be chance creation. Like, we big up Camps. His goal-scoring record and his threat from range is sensational. Um, and they've scored nine goals in two games. So it's a weird thing to say, but they have got the biggest expected goals before over performance so far. That's down to Camps, who's got eight goals from 2.84 expected. <laughs> Clearly, he has an elite skill set at the level from that range. Um, but I do wonder if... You know, and we used to say this about them last season. They didn't always look that fluid, that spectacular going forward. They didn't. They weren't the sort of team that that could create a chance at the drop of a hat. And you know, maybe that will change. And and as they increase their confidence, who who would bet against it? To be honest, it's really impressive. And and actually, I think it's you know, I haven't watched a full ninety of Fleetwood um, since they thrashed Hull. But all reports recently from those watching very closely are that out of possession, their shape, the way that they press the ball at the right times and how difficult they make it for teams like Plymouth, who are very good going forward generally and who have good attacking um, processes as well. That's, I think, been really impressive as well. So Mm. there's, there's a lot to like for Fleetwood and it looks like they are just drifting towards that top group. Portsmouth are in that top group and they beat Crew 4-1 on the weekend. It felt like a pretty classic tale of Crew um, being quite good between both boxes, playing pretty nice football, but unlike the last few weekends where they have taken their chances and managed to keep goals out at the other end, this was a case of Pompey very much taking their chances, ruthless when they won the ball high up the pitch and uh, and crew couldn't really handle it. Why haven't we talked more? I say we, the, the sort of general we, as in wider EFL discourse. Why aren't we talking more about Ronan Curtis's second goal? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely it unbelievable, wasn't it? I feel like maybe it's because we don't have um, Portsmouth have got multiple cam. Like they've got four cameras at their ground. We should get a better. <laughs> we should get a better angle of this. I don't think the normal camera does it justice. No, he, I agree. He, he makes the most of a bad Beckles touch. He nutmegs Beckles with like a little sort of flip flap type thing through his legs. Then he manages to knock it round the keeper with his right foot with a little roll across. And as he's falling to the ground manages to get enough contact with his left foot to slip it in the near post. I thought it was absolutely unbelievable. And I haven't seen anyone talking about it because there were so many long-range rockets. Sorry, we should have, we should have covered it in more detail on Saturday night. Um, <laughs> it's it's fairness, quite nice for me to be able to uh, to be able to pick holes in the Quest coverage because I wasn't well, involved. There was, there was even a question about Curtis and his two goals, which, which uh, I think because of time was cut, mm. but um, which I was meant to answer as well. So I'd have, I hope I'd have been in, as enthusiastic well, as you were thankfully there. Thankfully, you've got a platform now to, uh, to say whatever you want about Ronan Curtis. But, it, but, it, but it's great because, I mean, with Curtis, last season, for a lot of it, especially in, in the second half of the season, Portsmouth kind of felt like Ronan Curtis FC. Certainly, as an Oxford fan going into those playoff games, all the narrative, all the talk was stop Ronan Curtis and you stop Pompey. It took him nine games in this campaign before he got his first goal. He's now got four in his last four. But that 
is why Pompey looks so much better to me this season, is they have so many different ways of hurting you. It was Curtis's turn on Saturday, but we've seen Marcus Harness do it on occasions this season. We've seen John Marquis do it a lot. Ellis Harrison was brilliant again. Ryan Williams has come into form as well. It feels like as an attacking unit, they have so many different ways to hurt you that almost it's going to go in these waves because maybe if a, a team like Crew look to double up on Harness, then it opens up the space for Curtis mm. on the left-hand side. It's funny though, isn't it? Because we watched them on Tuesday night and we when we weren't, we were a bit underwhelmed by Pompey's display against our guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah I definitely was. Um, but that's why... You know, it's a fool's game if you start putting too much onus on, on individual performances. Yeah. Um, interestingly here, having watched Crew in midweek and having watched Oxford struggle to break them down despite having a lot of the ball, Jacket, I mean, and the Pompey fans won't want this to happen too often. I mean, they sat off them. They had 30% possession. They let them have the ball. As you mentioned, Curtis's second goal was pressing them high and trying to make force them into mistakes when they were trying to play out the back, out from the back with Beckles. Um, but Jacket, for all of the, the criticism he gets, this was not an easy feat to put four goals past a crew side who are very, very comfortable in their shape. Not an easy feat either to restrict them to, you know, pretty few chances until the game is basically out of their reach. Um, to keep a clean sheet apart from the penalty in the, in the 93rd minute, this was just very, very professional. I mean, I, I'm going to be watching 90 minutes of Portsmouth tomorrow, ne- tomorrow evening against Oxford. And I cannot say that I'm particularly looking forward to it because it feels pretty ominous what this side are doing. Well, the team with the most wins this season in the division and certainly the teams with the most wins that you would put in the professional category are Hull City. They beat MK Dons 3-1 and it was three straightforward goals making the most of of poor defending. Um, McGuinness at the double for them. They're just carrying themselves with a real confidence and a swagger at the moment, Hull. And that's a a great change in mentality. We said that we're going to stop referencing last season, but specifically on this point and the way that they are carrying themselves and the way that they are having this air of superiority, which is which is impacting their performance in a good way. And don't get me wrong, sometimes that can lead to complacency. We've seen them be a little complacent. They've lost two games when they've had the lead um, uh, against uh, Posh and against Swindon as well. Um, but not this weekend. They, they, they just did, did the business. They've scored the first goal in 10 of their 12 league games. And when you score the first goal, you have a very, very good chance of winning games. It, I don't think it feels like Hull are doing anything special necessarily. And as I mentioned, they have had the odd hiccup here and there, but it's working in general. Like all the players are contributing. You spoke about Honeyman uh, on Saturday night. We spoke about him previously. Of course, Wilkes has just been a constant threat. Lewis Potter is a constant threat. McGuinness on the score sheet as well. The back line is is doing the business as well to the tune of, of just 10 goals conceded in 12 games. So it's all very, very positive from a, a whole perspective. And, uh, you know, we just want to make, we just want to see them play some, some better sides, I think, and see how they match up against them. Because, of course, they got thrashed by Fleetwood, their first defeat of the season. Um, they didn't do very well against Peterborough, even though they had the lead and they lost that game 2-1. So, you know, that, that's kind of what's left for me to see with Hull is uh, when they have a slightly tougher run of games, how will they go? Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, they've got Ipswich away tomorrow. So, and then they've got Donny and then they've got Hull away. So the next three games we will learn. They've got Hull more. away. They've got Oxford away on the 5th of December. <laughs> so we'll learn. I mean, I'm not necessarily putting Oxford in a top team category, but in another 10 days time, they should be in better Nick. Um, yeah, we'll learn a lot about crew, won't we? And uh, I don't know if yeah. you've got anything to add on crew, but they're playing Ipswich tomorrow night. So it's a nice segue to talk about Ipswich, who have won every single home game this season. And yet, it still doesn't feel great, does it? No, I mean, it feels quite a good way to go from Hull to Ipswich because 
I'm still, there's something about Hull that I'm just not convinced by. I mean, again, on Saturday, even in the 3-1 win, they had MK Dons to thank for some pretty atrocious defending and also being very wasteful in front of goal. Again, MK created a lot of chances in this game. And I think, you know, we spoke to Russell Martin on Thursday in the Totally Football League for extra time and he spoke about how he felt he deserved more points and how he sometimes had to show his team the stats to show them that the process was right. And I'm pretty sure, you know, Monday morning today, back in the training ground, hit the message would have been exactly the same. You know, we did enough to win this game and we've come out losing 3-1. You have to cut out individual mistakes. We have to be more clinical in front of goal because we're doing good things at both ends of the pitch. For Ipswich, I mean, that I'm pretty sure Hull fans listening to what I've just said will not like it and will disagree. And that's totally fair. And they're entitled to that. With Ipswich, it's kind of the other way around where, you know, after the game on Saturday, um, I, I tweeted being like, I'm on Quest. If, if there's anything I should know about this game, then, then do let me know. And the, the majority of, of messages were from Ipswich fans that I got basically saying, don't, don't praise us. Don't look at the stats. Don't fall for Lambert. Don't fall for our, our home form. We are papering over the cracks and we are not good enough. And I might not feel necessarily quite as, um, you know, negative about Ipswich. Although I would obviously caveat that by saying I, I do not think that Ipswich are the third best team in this league as it stands. But it is amazing for a side who who played six home games, who conceded their first goal at Portman Road on Saturday, which was a penalty in the fourth minute, who've won all six of those games as well. For the fan reaction and the fan feeling towards the performances and the and the and the style of football to be so negative. Mm. Um, you know that it's often us telling fans right that they're that they shouldn't get too overexcited because there are elements of their performance that aren't necessarily being shown in the results it's basically what I'm doing now with Hull I, I think Hull are going to go through a, a, a rocky patch probably quite soon I, I don't think they're as good as their points tally suggests I don't think they're as good on Saturday as the scoreline suggests Hull fans won't like it with Ipswich it's almost the other way around. It's Ipswich fans, despite their form, despite the results, telling us, being like, lads, we, we aren't, we aren't good. Like this is, this is not going to last. It happened last season. Then they aren't seeing much of a change here. So I'm happy. I mean, rather than giving my own take on Ipswich, which is probably that they are also due a poor run, you know, I'm happy to defer to Ipswich fans who seem really not happy mm. with with the way that their club is being managed. And it was significant that we had Danny Cowley on the show on, on sorry to mention him again, on Saturday. It's because loads and loads of Ipswich fans were tweeting. I spoke to, to Jasper, who's the, the social media man um, for the show. And he was saying they had so many Ipswich fans tweeting, being like, ask Danny to come to Ipswich, ask Danny to come to Ipswich. You know, it's 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 mad given, given where they are and, and the start that they've had. I'm not going to ask you if you asked Danny Cowley to go to Ipswich, but uh, maybe we'll talk about it off air. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I'm happy not to give any credit to any team that beats Shrewsbury Town at the moment. Uh, so Shrews fans probably won't want what to. What about listen. your mate, your mate Ethan? Yeah, own goal from old Ethan. That was a tough scene. That was a really tough scene. I hope he's okay. Um, it, it's it's miserable. It's absolutely miserable. Um, what can I say? Since, since Christmas Day last season, Shrews have played 26 games in the league. And they've picked up 18 points, which is 0.69 points per game. Or if you like it in 46 game terms, that is 32 points In if you stretch that out over a season. Sam Ricketts must be doing a lot of good things outside of the football matches themselves. Um, a, lot of, a lot of things that have the board and owners, the, uh, the decision makers, you know, pleased with him 
as Shrewsbury manager. And, you know, managers get set a lot of different things as their remit. Um, mostly it's, uh, it's performances and results on the pitch, but not always. And so I can't comment on what Ricketts is doing off the field there. But it can't be anything that's happening on the field that's making them think that he's the man to keep them in the division, surely. Because, I mean, we talked about it the other day. It's it's it's, it's those stats I've just read out. It's the fact that they've they only scored more than one goal in seven games last season out of 34. And, and funnily enough, in their three-all draw against Swindon where they gave up a 3-1 lead, that was the only time this season they've scored more than one goal uh, in the game. So eight in 46 games in total, they've scored more than a goal. In a game, uh, it's pretty, pretty miserable. Peterborough lost 2-1 to Blackpool. Uh, this is an interesting one, George, because I have to say, you did flag up, Posh, on the state of play pod as, as, you know, by no means being a poor side, but maybe not being as good as the points tally at that time suggested, where they'd rocketed, mm. you know, they'd gone a few points clear at the top of the league. Uh, of course, they have since then lost to Crew. They've lost to Blackpool as well, and things aren't looking quite as rosy. Uh, but Blackpool, a bit like Fleetwood, kind of creeping up the table somewhat. Um, Critchley needed wins, didn't he? Because he'd had a couple of games at the end of last season and he hadn't picked up anything significant in terms of wins and points. And then this season didn't start very well, despite some excitement about the summer business. But he's getting them at the moment. Five in all comps in a row, three now in a row in the league. And this significantly was the first time they've beaten a team near the top. So, you know, this is a really good sign. And I'm not going to go big on Blackpool just yet. I haven't seen enough uh, with my eyes and I haven't seen enough necessarily <laughs> looking back over the performances to get too excited but they've got Donny and Pompey to come this week so I mean I say this a lot but we'll know mm. much more about how good this Blackpool side is when we sit down next week to talk football yeah I think there are a couple of, of interesting things with Blackpool firstly I think Gretison's arrival coinciding with much better displays isn't a massive surprise. I mean, they, they were so thin at the back and, and whether or not, you know, I, I didn't know before he came in whether or not he was a particularly good player or not, but the evidence we're seeing at the moment is that he is that he probably is. And, and since he's come in, they've been so much better defensively. Similarly, Kenny Dougal coming in in centre midfield has made a big impact as well. Um, another <clears throat> shrewd signing and somebody who's given them a little bit more control in the middle, in the middle of the park. But CJ Hamilton's form on the right wing seems to be kind of the not the main catalyst, but a big, you know, a big plus for uh, for Blackpool at the moment. He's causing all sorts of problems on the right hand side, and being able to play Medine and Yates as a two as well mm. seems like a really nice balance. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty happy to say that Blackpool are, are deserving of this run of form and, and that. You know, the unknown is still Critchley, but as a as a starting eleven and in terms of personnel, they look to be a much better team than they were. Just generally in terms of the players they're playing than they were a month ago. So, um, yeah, a bad time. You know, you you might look at the next few fixtures and think, okay, that's quite tough. Are they going to come out? I would say that this is a bad time to play Blackpool. I think that they are a team who are on their way upwards. Burton lost three one to Northampton, or let's spin it in a positive manner. Northampton beat Burton three one <laughs> on the weekend. Um, Burton are, are really, really struggling. There's there's absolutely no way to avoid that. They've only got seven points from their 13 league games this season. They cannot, for the life of them, keep teams at bay. They've not kept a clean sheet yet this season. And on the back of this display, it doesn't look like there's one forthcoming. Uh, so bad news for Charlton fans, because I've just jinxed you there. You're playing them uh, on Tuesday night. Um, let's focus on the positives. For Northampton, it's great to see Ricky Holmes back in a in a cobbler's shirt, in a maroon. Is it maroon? Mm. Is that the colour we'll go with? Maroon cobbler's shirt. I'm sure I'll be told off for getting the exact uh, shade of 
purple wrong but uh i also particularly enjoyed ricky holmes tweeting after the game comparing harry smith the very tall striker who scored two goals to jan collar (laughs) you know like when we talk about efl players we quite often we quite often try and think of a comparison a reference some you know someone at the top level just to give a you know it gives it, it can actually be a very bad thing to do and not that helpful for a player but if you get it right, it can help someone understand what sort of a player that is. And I just love that he's gone with Jan Collar. What a throwback. What a throwback. <laughs> They're a funny side, Northampton, because they've lost over half of their league games this season. They've lost seven of 13. But they're in 16th place at the moment. They've got more than a point per game, 14 from 13, because they've proven themselves capable of winning against teams around them. They've beaten the bottom three, current the current bottom three, Burton, Wigan and Shrewsbury, uh, and they beat Swindon as well. So while they can do that, that's obviously going to keep them above those sides. But my concern is they've already played four of the bottom six already. So they're presumably going to have a much tougher run and they have not shown themselves to be very good against those better sides. So um, still, still plenty of work to do, but a, a very positive weekend and a very positive weekend for Wimbledon as well. George, they beat Dale late. We talked on the State of Play pod about how they had taken the lead in games about as much as any other team in the EFL, but they kept throwing away those leads. Mm. Well, one good way of ensuring you don't throw away a lead is by taking the lead in injury time and not giving yourself any chance to uh, wet the bed. Uh, You called them the the under-the-radar team in League One uh, on Quest, so I wanted to ask you about that. That That's a good sentence. Thanks very much. Again, it's normally fans who tell us who's under the radar, not us telling them, Mm. but it just... You know, I think they're probably still seen. I mean, maybe this is my own shortcomings, but they're probably still seen by by many as being one of the poorer teams in the division. But twelve games in, they've won four of them. They've got a positive goal difference, and they're only one point off the likes of Doncaster, two points off Plymouth, teams that we've been, you know, really positive about so far this season in terms of their of, of their possible prospects. I'm not here to say that AFC Wimbledon are going to suddenly. Um, start challenging the playoff places, but it's not out of the question. And, and more results like this, more performances like this, you know, they're they're good value for the points that they do pick up. Um, will go a long way. I mean, we had them again in our preseason predictions, pretty low, and I think again they're looking likely to prove us wrong. Absolutely. Uh, Swindon beat Bristol Rovers one 0 in what sounded like an absolutely miserable game without a lot of quality. Brett the Hitman Pittman with a back post header separating the sides. But most, probably most pertinent uh, because it was Paul Tisdale's first game. We haven't spoken about Tisdale being appointed at Bristol Rovers yet. Uh, Mm. George, I honestly don't know what I think about this appointment. Um, I'm going to slightly sit on the fence here. I, I I definitely don't, you know, when I saw it, I didn't go, oh God, no. I can definitely see the logic. But I'm still not that confident that it'll be a success. Partly nothing that much to do with Tisdale but partly I'm wondering off the back of of Garner's sacking what will be seen as success or failure here in this job there's obviously a lot of ambition which is 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 certainly nothing to you know nothing to disparage but I'm just a bit worried because I'm I'm unless he is unless he does an incredible job like a nine or a 10 out of 10 job I don't see Bristol Rovers getting too much higher in League One this season or probably not even next season. So I just, that makes me concerned that there won't be a ton of patience if things are just a bit meh, a bit average, you know? I think I think there will be. I think this is, you know, again, it, it's kind of like what happened last season with Appleton coming into Lincoln. I think when you come in 10 games into a season, basically the, the, the remit is stay up. 
um, and work out what you want. And it's kind of the perfect time to come in. All Paul Tisdale has to do is make sure that this Bristol Rovers team, who is seen by many to be kind of dark horses in the league, given the players they brought in, just improve them enough not to get relegated and then work out in the summer. I, I think with Tisdale as well, it is it's easy to forget how good he's been in the past. Like the 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 continual overperformance with Exeter, even though I know in the last couple of years it wasn't necessarily what the Exeter fans wanted by the end, was still mightily impressive. He still did a brilliant job there over a period of time and, and taking them from from the National League up to League One and then kind of the the heady heights of League One for a couple of seasons as well was an incredible job and there was a reason why he was the longest serving manager for, for a period. Mm. He then went into MK Dons and got them promoted at the first time of asking. Now, again, it's easy just to say, right, well, they were one of the fancy teams in the league, but you know, you've got to give him credit for that. You have to give him some credit. And you and I sat a year and a bit ago and we had them down as one of the possible dark horses from what we'd seen in League Two for mm. League One. It didn't work out. 10 or 12 games or however many it was for MK Dons at the beginning of last season does not dictate the managerial ability of somebody who's been in the game and done what Paul Tisdale has done for so long. He, he's quite clearly an upgrade on Ben Garner. The reason why Garner was sacked, in my opinion, is because you've got a guy who has no track record, no managerial evidence of being a capable pair of hands or a safe pair of hands. So when you're languishing down in the relegation spots, when you know a, a promotion tilt was probably what was expected, you know you don't have that to fall back on. You don't have that kind of safety net of being like, right, well at least we know that he's done this before, so you're going to pull the trigger. For Tisdale, you have that, and so I'm pretty sure. I mean, we talk about the expectation. If the expectations are high, come next August, and Tisdale has kept them in League One. The expectations will be high for a reason. It will mean more investment. It will mean more players who've been brought in to achieve that aim. Because Bristol Rovers are not, they're not a, a, a Peterborough, they're not a Portsmouth, they're not a, a Sunderland, they're not, you know, a, a club who whose budget and whose owner dictates that they should be up there. They'll be up there because of the investment or the good job that he does. So I, I'm much more positive, even if Saturday nice. wasn't a great start. No, I think that's excellent. I'm much more positive now as well. So thank you. <laughs> that's good. Um, I'm not going to go in depth on Wigan 1, Oxford 2, I'm afraid, because it's one of the few okay. games this weekend is Swindon against Oxford. So we'll definitely mm. be talking about that next Monday. Before we move on, to League, before we move on to League 2... Um, we both had a request to talk about Phil Parkinson and Sunderland. And we haven't spoken about them too much on the pod recently because of our uh, arbitrary filterage system of uh, getting rid of draws. And this Phil Parkinson Sunderland side, like like Sunderland sides we've seen in the last two years, absolutely loving the draws at the moment. Um, wow, they lost to MK Dons last weekend, didn't they? That was obviously... Did not go down very well. They drew with Donny on the weekend with a late, late goal conceded. They are in eighth position, uh, currently five off the top and three off second. There's obviously that that cluster of teams of which they are just at the bottom of it at the moment um, with a game in hand over three of those sides. Basically, the, the idea is, or what we've been told, is that almost every Sunderland fan now would like to see a change of manager. And so I thought it was worth addressing that. We haven't spoken about Parkinson specifically for a while. What do you think, uh, 12 games in, around the same time that Jack Ross got sacked uh, last season? Yeah, it's difficult to really... I mean, having been somebody who's been a big defender of Parkinson recently, the, the recent run of form has been has been very, very poor. Um, I was a little bit 
confused though because I mentioned on Quest that um, you know with, with, the, with the quality of players at their disposal they would like to be more dominant and I got a couple of tweets being like well we don't have very good players in which case I'm not sure why you'd expect the manager to be able to, you know, you've got to have one or the other. Either the manager's not doing well enough with a group of players or the players aren't good enough and you've got to say, like, right, well, he's kind of hamstrung here. Um, I do think they have good players. And I think, again, on Saturday, they showed that when things are going okay, they should be one of the best teams in the division. For the first half, they were by far the better team against Doncaster. Doncaster literally didn't lay a glove on them at all. They created absolutely nothing. Sunderland... By contrast, I mean, they scored an absolute worldie through Grant Ledbetter and, and most of the, the, the shots that they took and most of the chances they created weren't good ones, but they were in control of the game. And that massively flipped in the second half when Sunderland tried to sit on that lead, conceded a fair few chances and eventually, you know, were breached in the, 90, in the 92nd minute. And this is not a case where if Okunabire doesn't score, Sunderland fans are happy because they were not happy with how this was going during the game at all. Mm. If, you, if you look through the, the recent run of form as well, it's been 16 games now since Sunderland scored three three goals or more in a game. They haven't beaten a team that, that's had 11 men on the pitch for nine games now. Yeah, I mean that that that's not good enough, really. Mm. And I I'm convinced that if Phil Parkinson stays a Sunderland manager, convinced they will probably be in the top six by the end of it because it's going to be low margin stuff. They're going to win enough games. They're not going to concede loads of goals. This is. And, During... and if you were, and if you were running Sunderland, woe betide that ever happens. But if, if you <laughs> imagine, if you were running Sunderland, Hi, you pro- you wouldn't be the least popular Oxford fan to ever run Sunderland football club. <laughs> but if good. you were, what you've just said there—that you'd be convinced they'd be in the top six—would that be enough for you to say have it? Like have another have another X Games? Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not because. I have to you know, admit, mate, we we, sp- we didn't talk about this last week, but I had made some notes anyway because I was thinking about it uh, off the back of that defeat against MK Dons. And then uh, where I came down then was I definitely see where they're coming from and have lost quite a lot of faith in it, in the Parkinson project. I didn't think that, that last weekend was the result to sack him off the back of. But I under but I understand that that defeat to Mansfield in the FA Cup, even if cup results are not something we really care about, just added fuel to the fire and my thinking was and this is a little bit cynical to be honest but I was thinking you give him Doncaster and you give him Fleetwood on Tuesday night the form team in the division tough tough games and you see how they go and you and you don't judge it just on the results but on the performances as well but you let Parkinson have them and you see how those two games go and if you get four points from those two then you have to say that's a good return you have to say that's a good return yeah and if not then you're looking at Burton and Wigan next up and just, again, putting Parkinson to one side, a smart thing that some teams sometimes do just to create some good feeling around a new appointment is work out when the nicer fixtures are coming and get mm. someone in charge. The, the greatest case is Solskjaer at United. They basically played every team in the bottom half. So he had a 10-game run where his side looked very good and his points per game looked very good. That's right, well. And I just, well, <laughs> quite. But you can see why, you know, it, that there's benefit to it. Um, it's, it's better off starting your regime with easier games and tough games, of course. And they've got Burton and Wigan. Yeah. Um, and I just and I just look at that and I think if tomorrow night goes terribly, if if you are minded to pull the trigger, and don't forget there might be a bit of a power power vacuum here as well because we're led to believe there's a takeover on the way that hasn't quite mm-hmm. gone through yet. So if you make a change, I think that could be a good time to do it. Uh, try and get some positive energy um, ahead of those games uh, because we know that positive energy 
when it's going well, can be very, very handy indeed, even if the fans aren't in the ground. The amazing defensive numbers have been slightly chipped away at. I don't know what mm. I don't know what sort of hex Pompey put on them when they went up to the Stadium of Light and won three one. But I think before that they hadn't conceded in open play, have they? And since then, well, not only are they conceding in almost every game apart from uh, one clean sheet against Gillingham, but also just generally outside of that, the 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 defensive numbers are are much worse than they were earlier in the season. Let's talk League Two. What a smashing division it is too. We're going to talk about a few teams who. I think we haven't spoken about too much in terms of praise this season because they didn't start well. There's a few teams I think might be growing into it. We're going to get onto them in just a second. Let's pay off some of those teams at the top, George, because we had wins for Carlisle 3-0 at Crawley. The first team to beat Crawley uh, at Crawley in, I think, 14 or 15 games. We had Cheltenham winning 3-0 against Walsall and we had Newport nicking a late one. 41-year-old Kevin Ellison scoring the winner. What a story that is, by the way. And I think a deserved win against Port mm. Vale on, on balance of play. Uh, and from a set piece as well. Good old Newport. They're still very good at those. I love that in the EFL trophy, in the Papa John's the other day, Ellison played alongside a player 26 years younger than him. That is just... I'm all about that. <laughs> when you consider that he is 26 years younger than a 67-year-old, then that really does sum up the gap. Um, which of those games do you want to talk about? You you were glowing in your praise of beach ball at Carlisle. Well, I mean, the game was at Crawley. But beach ball. Carlisle's beach oh, ball. I love it. Yeah, I think that is the significant one here because of Crawley's home record. You know, as I said on the show, it's, well, it's a year today. It was the last time Crawley lost at home in the league yes. um, before this one. And they were just played off the park, really, by by Carlisle. I mean, we're, we know we're pretty quickly seeing this team that Chris Beach recruited over the summer um, are quickly becoming the sides that I think could be the ones who just blitz everybody. I think Newport are, are certainly there as well um, because I'm sure we'll talk about their performance again on Saturday against Port Vale where, where they were completely dominant. But this was, this was just, yeah, a Carlisle side at the peak of their powers, creating chances at will, clinical in front of goal, um, dominating the game, not necessarily having all of the ball, but when they had it, using it well. Uh, yeah, if we kind of said early on, you know, last season, it felt like we, we could tell pretty quickly who the best teams were in League Two. I think it's taking longer for the cream to rise to the top, but I'd be surprised if Carlisle aren't in the, aren't in the conversation. Um, maybe not the individuals that, that you'd associate with some of those best teams. I mean, Jimmy Torre, Jimmy Torre is the one player who we've spoken about in the past. Um, but there was other players who came, and obviously Mellish has been the surprise package, but it was it was, it was was uh, Alessandra, it was Coyote, it was Reese Bennett making his first appearance for the club, mm. George Tanner. It was these guys who really stood out today, and it does just feel like there's quality throughout. And, and I do not think this will be the last time that Carlisle hand out an absolute beating to another League Two side. Coyote's been a brilliant, brilliant player for them this season. On loan mm. from Rotherham, so good news for Miller's fans. He's developing really well. Great place for him to be with the style of play that you've mentioned, but also just a real all-rounder. Like he, he is a he's a, he's a big guy. He can be a target man. But if you look at his underlying sort of chance creation numbers, he's actually been one of their more creative players. Really impressive in that sense um, and clearly helping to lead a, a pretty intense press as well. Callum Guy in midfield. Here's one for Derby County fans. You might remember Callum Guy coming through the system at Derby. He's also been excellent in the centre of midfield for Carlisle. Pressing high, winning the ball back. His intensity has been key to that. So there's a couple of young It's just great to see. Like they, They've used the money they got from Jared Branthwaite's sale to Everton mm so unbelievably well in a way that 
in a way that I can't remember any League Two t- side necessarily doing. And I have to hold my hands up because you you kind of called this. You thought it looked really impressive and you thought they were recruiting for a style uh, and you liked what you saw of Chris Beach last season. I wasn't ready to go all in on them, but uh, you, were, you were right by the looks of things. I do, I do think there's a bit of a uh, like yin and yang with Cheltenham and Carlisle at the moment where you just said so many nice things about Carlisle and you're right. But I think a part of the reason why we're excitable about them is that it's new and it's exciting and it's flashy and there's a risk of being, you know, of, of being a bit seduced by it where Cheltenham are the loyal, uh, the loyal partner, the one who is very consistent, the one who knows you best, the one who mm. you really should, you know, you really should <laughs> settle down with. But I just think there's, and, and this is a flaw in us, I guess, but that like I think we risk taking Cheltenham for granted because this is what they've been like for quite a while now. And it's it's kind of rare that a team would have such a consistent high level of performance without moving up a division and then finding some new challenges there. But, you know, Cheltenham beat Carlisle when they played them last week, 2-1. Uh, they've won eight of their 13 games. They're, they're up to 25 points from those 13. And look, they, they are just consistency personified with the way that they play. And it's just such a good solid system under Mike Duff repeatable as hell that they they so rarely chuck in a wobbly which I don't think you can quite say uh, about Carlisle just yet they've obviously lost a couple of games this season in a pretty disappointing fashion but um, yeah I just wanted to shout out Cheltenham because I don't want them to think that we are taking them for granted and Ben Toes's long throw is, is still the greatest threat in League 2 um, <laughs> just consistently proving that to be the case uh, and Will Boyle generally um, getting making the most of that I, I want to talk about a couple of teams George quickly who I think are growing into the season and one of them is Bolton who is fair to say in the month of of October we didn't say a lot of good things about at all both in terms of their on-field performance where they looked like a, a new team cobbled together and asked to play a style that was not necessarily simple and that they were very much struggling to implement. Um, we talked about various things that Ian Everett said uh, in the press that we didn't agree with. And um, it's been a much different month for Bolton and a very, very positive one. Uh, they beat Salford on Sky, of course, on the 13th. And then they beat Stevenage. Uh, and it's just two wins in a row, but uh, positive signs, I think. Jilks coming in in goal has clearly made a big difference, um, both in terms of, of making some very good saves, but also in terms of uh, just his experience, I think. You know, probably, I think there's something, there's definitely a good conversation to have about how important experience is uh, for an individual player in this league. And I don't know what the answer is always, but I think with goalkeepers, that's probably the position where it is, I guess, most important because of the organisational qualities that you need to have and just the confidence that you need to instill in, in specifically in the back four or back five, but uh, it can kind of filter into the whole team. So Jilks is making a big difference. But just generally, you know, you always talk about Everett's style, don't you? And we brought it up a lot when it wasn't going well, so it's right to bring it up now. They seem to be settling into it. They look a lot more com- comfortable. They look a lot calmer and just stronger all over the pitch. And Doyle's had a good few weeks. Sarsevich has had an excellent few months. And things are looking up, I think, for, for Bolton. I don't know exactly to what extent. I dare say there will be 
more bad days ahead, but they've got Scunthorpe and Southend up next. They've got a really good chance to put together mm-hmm. four wins on the bounce. And if they were on 20 after 15, then they could certainly build on, on that. But we won't take it for granted. So Im- impressive stuff. Um, either add to the Bolton chat or tell me about uh, Tranmere who thrashed Grimsby 5-0 on the weekend and have a new manager to show for it. <laughs> yeah, and just on, on Bolton, I think the, the, the key thing here, all the talk of, of um, Barcelona and Ebbett Ball and all this stuff, against Stevenage, Owen Doyle had four shots all inside the area. If you carry on doing that, then you're going to be absolutely fine. You have to mm-hmm. find a way to get him the ball. It hasn't happened so often this season. He's cast a, a forlorn figure up top. That was not the case on Saturday. It wasn't the case against Salford. And if he's cracked that and... Even either he's worked that out or he's found a way to make that happen, um, then they're going to be absolutely fine because he'll score lots of goals. Lovely finish on Saturday. Um, for Tranmere at Grimsby, a really weird story coming out of this one um, with Ian Holloway's post-match interview. Did you see this? Uh, yeah, I heard it. I heard it. I'm I'm so I'm I'm very aware of the very difficult period that Ian Holloway has had not just yeah. in his professional life but also in his personal life absolutely yeah no I mean I, I agree with that it was just worth commenting on given the actual way the game went mm. uh, where Ian Holloway said that his chief scout had told him that Tramia were going to play a certain way and they didn't and that seemed to to flummox him mm. um but Strange. and and you can understand why for reasons you've just mentioned maybe Ian Holloway isn't able to commit as much time to scouting opposition than he would have done previously um but this was this was a clinical Tranmere. This is kind of what I was talking about earlier with, with Michael Jackson maybe not getting the rub of the green and suddenly the variants flying back in the in the face because Tranmere only had nine shots in the game. They, they scored five of them. Grimsby created a fair amount, but albeit once they were 4-0 down. <laughs> um, Ian Dawes and Andy Parkinson um, will get the credit for it. I think it's probably just, you know, that Tranmere also thrashed Southend a, a few weeks ago under Michael Jackson, I think it's just a, a team with good players coming up against a team really struggling and making their their superiority count. I'm, I'm excited for Keith Hill to come into Tranmere. I know Tranmere fans don't really like the appointment from what I'm seeing. I think he, at Rochdale, he's got two promotions from this league. His continued ability to keep Rochdale away from relegation fight in League One was, was amazing. Draw a line through what happened to Bolton last season. That wasn't a real job to be honest yeah. um he was just a care he was just somebody there to oversee a period where they were going to get relegated um Chami are just two points off the playoffs yeah uh, I, it's I a great they, job to get isn't it it's a, it's good a great job, job to, get. to get it's a great uh, for, for a side who invested wisely and heavily in the summer coming in as well to to a, 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 a side flowing with confidence now i expect keith hill to be much much more popular in Chami than he is in, in a couple of weeks than he is now yeah, yeah, I, I share all of those thoughts. Really, um, I, I would, I wouldn't judge him at all based on that last season at Bolton, as you've said. I, I know that Bolton fans will not like to hear that and did not like Keith Hill very much. But uh, you know, regardless of of the intricacies of how he dealt with the difficult situation, well or poorly or whatever it is, that job has no relevance whatsoever. I don't think on on this one. Um, he hasn't always struck me as the most like motivational Keith Hill but he certainly knows how to do things at this level and I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes here um, Orient won 3-0 at Har- uh, against Harrogate at home I should say uh, DJ Danny Johnson showing himself to be a lovely finisher when he's on form glorious hat-trick the second goal was particularly fantastic what a take incredible first touch and a good finish um, when it comes to Orient and, and putting them in this discussion of teams who are sort of growing into the season 
I don't know, is the answer. I'm not willing to anoint them just yet. They, they lost to Cole Yu and to Forest Green in their previous two league games. You know, I'm not going to have a go at teams for losing to two good sides in the division, but I haven't I haven't yet seen anything to make me change my like top line on Orient has been the same top line for probably 18 months, which is I can't trust them and I don't think they're consistent. And that doesn't mean I think they're bad because they clearly have very, very good performances and wins in them. You know, they've won three away games this season. They've thrashed Harrogate and Bolton at home, but we've also seen some really poor displays and they've only beaten teams in the bottom half so far. No one in the top half. So even though they are 11th, you know, I'm going to need to see them beat teams above them until I until I start believing them as a as a playoff chaser, and maybe that will happen. They, they've they've got Bradford next. They should go into that game very confident, given what Bradford are up to at the moment. Um, but yeah, they beat a Harrogate side who have now got two points from their last six and seem to have hit a bit of a wall. So, look, I, I guess I'm kind of laying down the gauntlet to to Orient here. Um, be be better, be more consistent, beat teams above you. And then we'll start getting pretty excited because there's a lot to like. I mean, their attacking play at times is glorious. Wilkinson's left foot. Maguire drew mostly off the bench, I think, at the moment. Joby McEnough's been great. Uh, and Danny Johnson finishing him off. So it's, there's a lot to like. Uh, and then maybe the goal of the weekend, George. Danny Rose free kick. I mean, <laughs> whoosh. You're just one of those where you see him wind up and you're like, I mean. I hope I this. can do this more, uh, more justice than I did on, on Saturday. Um <laughs> it was a, just an unbelievable hit. Uh, generally, with free kick goals, it's pretty rare to see goals you don't normally see. Um, but to see him just running up and absolutely thwacking it from kind of 38 yards, I'd like, to, I'd love to see a behind the ball camera. Well, we never will. Um, but I'd like to know how that ball moved in the air because I have a feeling it probably wasn't an arrow. It probably was doing a bit of wobbling as well. Mm. But um, unbelievable hit. We've talked plenty about Oldham's recruitment from overseas in the past and generally fairly disparagingly. So I think it's fair to, to bring up some interesting ones, potentially successful ones. It's, it's too early for, for both of these signings to, to give them the full green light. But, you know, it seemed when they were really going for it and players were coming in from all over and it seemed very agent-led and maybe not done with much care or attention or, or much joined-up thinking necessarily about how it would all come together. But... Um, Bahambula has been brilliant for them really lively wide player got that bit of X factor you know we, we want to see more consistency but we are talking about a league two wide player and, and he's clearly got at his best uh, brilliant talent good skill good delivery um, and I, I just wanted to flag him up because he's great to watch and a lot of um, opposition fans have been mentioning him in their Sunday scouting reports we also had a mention for uh, Rafael Diara and I and this had completely passed me by. I I'd ne I was like, who is this player? Which is rare. <laughs> Normally, I'm across this, but uh, played at centre back for Oldham in their win against Exeter on the weekend. It was his debut. He did very well. He came off with about 15 minutes to go, but by all accounts, he did well. He looked good. And he's a well, he's 25 years old Frenchman, uh, French Malian, I should say. And he was a kid at Monaco. And five years ago, he was playing in the France under-20s alongside Kim Pembe, who's now a World Cup winner. Um, wow. So, um, it, it, you know, he's got an interesting background, certainly an interesting youth career, but not not played a ton of football since. And I, I can't, I haven't, I haven't gone onto the French websites enough to find a long read about what's happened to him, if it exists. But a move to Cercle Bruges uh, and another one in the in the third tier in France didn't go particularly well. But he's pitched up at Oldham, and uh, he's made his debut, and he looked good. And he's obviously got some pedigree, so it'd be cool to see him settle in. Um, I wouldn't necessarily bet on it, given 
given uh, the track record of a lot of these guys that Oldham have signed in the last few years. But Oldham are looking much better in the last few weeks, that's for sure. And it's worth mm. pointing that out. At the start of the season, I was pretty concerned about them. And they're still inconsistent as hell. Their last six games, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win. But uh, yeah, w- when they're good, they look very good indeed. Um, and Salford made light work of, of Bradford. And I guess the most notable thing there was Luke Burgess, who they recalled from a loan at Files, and I haven't quite been worked. I haven't quite been able to work out whether they recalled him because he was looking so good at Fylde and they wanted him to play for Salford or whether it was for injury reasons. I don't think so. I've done some research for you. Oh, yes. Go on. Definitely recalled to play, not for injury reasons. Nice. Fylde fans were very upset when he was recalled. He seemed to light up their early games. Well, there you go. Um, Lit up up the uh, whatever their stadium's called this weekend. Quite a a funny... um, but it's just quite quite strange that it wouldn't have been Wellens. It was it was a month ago, um, so I don't know who'd have made the decision. But it was seemingly certainly a, a footballing decision. Nice. Well, he scored a brace on the weekend, and the second goal was absolutely glorious. Um, Bradford, I'm very concerned about to be honest. You know, uh, outside of Southend and Scunthorpe, who we we had been very concerned about, and Scunthorpe's form improving somewhat. Now I'm starting to look at other clubs. If Scania are going to be a bit better, who am I worried about? Well, Grimsby, of course, who we've spoken about. They've got a tough run of games coming up as well. But Bradford City have beaten Southend, Scunthorpe and Mansfield. Mm. But when Mansfield were really bad, when they were all over the place, and they've played nine games against teams above them, Bradford, they've only picked up four points from those games. So they really need to pick, pick up their act pick up their act get their act. Up. they need to get their act together and they've got orient on tuesday night and i'm, I'm looking for a performance for them because then they host cheltenham and carlisle and uh yeah I'm, I'm a little concerned i must say i must say george this has been a wonderful pod god it's nice to talk football for you more so than ever you've been talking for me have you <laughs> so, <laughs> great to talk football with you george i was i was about to be sentimental and now i'm not sure it's worth it i was just gonna say that uh haven't really been able to see many humans in the last four weeks. So just uh, being able to talk football with you on record or off record is always a joy. So thank you for that. Me too, mate. I'm looking forward to, to Friday and seeing you again already. That's so nice. That's so nice. Well, we should mention that we'll be playing Fan Slide on Friday night uh, yep. as we're in at Sky. Really excited to see the QPR Brentford game, bit of a local derby, but just in footballing terms as well with Warburton in charge of QPR and and Brentford just looking a little bit iffy at the moment, not necessarily hitting the heights that we expected them to. Uh, it's an intriguing encounter, that's for sure. Uh, so do join us on Fan Slide. It's free to play. It's free to download. But there are cash prizes if you do well. Uh, £100 in the pot for Friday night. And they're doing the early Saturday lunchtime games as well. So do join us there. And thank you so much for listening to this, guys. Um, we'll be back with the Totally Football League show Extra Time on Thursday and the betting show as well, of course. So thank you for all your support as ever. Please do join us then. We'll talk again soon. Go well.